So welcome back to Rockstock Channel for our second weekly recap, a new series. It's Friday, September 15th. Um, Shana Tova and uh, Happy New Year to all our Jewish listeners who celebrate. I am wearing uh, a shirt from the Eagles uh, concert I went to at Madison Square Garden. It says, take it to the limit one more time. And that was inspiration for the Lithium Bowl that I just published today, um, which includes 10 summaries of our ASX Lithium Rocks conference uh, that we had a week or two ago. Before we start today's video, we'd like to thank our two sponsors, Brianfield Services Company, Zalandez, and investor, Lithium Royalty Corp, listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange, ticker symbol LIRC. We'll share more about these sponsors later in the video. We have as a guest host with us, a, a fellow podcaster, Emily Hirsch, who was a co-host of a podcast, which was the best, the worst, the first, and Lithium Iron Rocks was the second, but not the second best. And now she has the Minerals Manhattan Project and a new Twitter handle. I think you're not at Lithium Podcast anymore. You're what? Emily. At Lithium Emily. So I was, I missed a lot of her initial podcast, but just around Labor Day, while I was outside doing some exercise, I decided to listen to a few. And that prompted me to get this book, Volt Rush by Henry Sanderson, who is now, was FT, now at Benchmark. Benchmark, we're going to be having Simon Moores on the program later this month ahead of their Hotel California flagship Benchmark Minerals Week uh, event in November. I also just got this book, Elon Musk by Walter Isaacson. I read the Steve Jobs one, so I'm looking forward to the Elon Musk one. But Elon was in the headlines, not the headlines, he was on Twitter, X, referencing lithium again. The bottleneck is refining, not mining, in reference to what was widely reported as a, a new story, a huge new discovery in Nevada of a clay asset. And I was just like, what is that? And Emily told me, actually, they were talking about Thacker Pass, which was uh, my first client 14 years ago. And that's 15 years or so, 16 years in the making. So yeah, the bottleneck is uh, both mining and refining as uh, Keith Phillips uh, responded to that to that tweet. But uh, Emily has been busy apart from her podcasting, uh, is building her own company, Luna Lithium. And she's very active in Brazil and other South American hard rock. And Sigma Lithium was in the news. And we're going to talk about that. I talk about the good life, L-I and F-E, iron ore, that is in Western Australia because you're having you know, battles with Gina Reinhardt and, and Hancock and, and Chris Ellison's very active. Rodney's talked about the Kalgoorlie stampede. But on the other side of the world is iron ore rich Brazil. I've always wondered and thought like Vale may throw their hat in the ring with Sigma, but I don't think that's actually the case. But the, the, the Sigma news was that they're having multiple strategic proposals for it could be for the whole company or it could be at a project level or it could be like Grota do Cirillo specifically and they talked about the companies and the project have attracted interest from strategic partners including global industry leaders in the energy auto batteries and lithium refining industries I, I noted in that list was no mining companies were listed uh, among those so when they say lithium refining companies uh, we have no relationship to Sigma, so I'm totally like speculating here, but like that could be 
Ganfeng, but their stock was up like 15%. But the fact it didn't strike me as that this was going to be a bid for the whole company in the way that like Albemarle has bid for Liontown, the, the, the structure and nature of the way that release was written. It sounded as much like Pilbara is having an auction for their offtake for their P1000 or their P or their expansion, and they're fielding auto companies, energy companies, battery companies, et cetera. So I don't know about that, but maybe you're friends with Ana and you're in Brazil, but we could just, let's just start like by talking a little bit about M&A in the sector, because I do want to talk about, yeah, the Sigma and, and what's happening in Western Australia, Rodney, and we'll cover a few other topics. Take it away, Emily. Thoughts on on that, and then what you your objectives are with the Mineral Manhattan Project podcast and your recent interviews. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that Howard, when we're seeing, I think we're in a very interesting time period for M and A, in the sense that lithium prices are low, right? The global economy is not exactly looking fantastic. And so this is a good time or a good opportunity for larger companies to consolidate their positions in markets that they're already active or to take on projects that have reached a certain level of advancement in new markets. And so I think <clears throat> I'll defer to Rodney on this because I think he's got a little bit higher of a financial uh, knowledge than I do, but I do think M&A especially as sort of the spot pricing environment is low, but the EV adoption rates are continuing pace. You've got a number of players who know they need access to this feedstock who are going to want to come into this market and consolidate their positions. On the Minerals Manhattan podcast, yeah, thanks for the shout out. Thanks for buying Henry's book. I've recently started that project up again to have as many or to go a little bit more technical or a little bit more into the weeds on some of these topics that are, I would say, adjacent to specifically what I'm doing at Luna, but still very relevant to understanding the lithium story as it's unfolding in the battery space. And so just this week I was at a I was at a conference in Pittsburgh with Reuters with Ernest Shader, who we all know Ernie. He's worked for Reuters for quite some time and has also written a book. And I had the opportunity to sit down with Dr. John Berba, who built the first commercial DLE plant back in the 2000s in Argentina for Liven. And so having the opportunity to go in depth on specific topics with other nerds like me is really what's compelling me to do that podcast again, in addition to building Luna. You're a big champion of a few years ago, Wake Up America and Combat China. And we've seen that Biden has implemented that very significantly. You had one of our clients, Talon Metals, Todd Malin, on your podcast to go through the alphabet soup of all of the programs. And one of the things that happened this week was that the Department of Defense, through the Defense Production Act, actually gave money to mining specifically like previously all of the other grants and the loans are going to processing but not mining but here the federal government department of defense has given is giving talon over 20 million dollars to find more nickel and they're giving 90 million dollars to albemarle to get the king's mountain mine up and running and my read through on that is very positive for piedmont 
Carolina Lithium Project as well, if the federal government is saying we need domestic mine materials. Um, so I think there are, there are a couple of other arms. I think Syra in Mozambique is getting a loan from the international lending arm. And uh, Biden was in Saudi Arabia with an MOU to, to look at Africa for opportunities. It's very topical. Your podcast is very good. So you're based now in, in D.C., but you're traveling all the time to South America. We look forward very much to hearing if and when you go public, Luna Lithium, because Brazil's a big hotspot. Rodney, why don't you, I guess this, we haven't talked so much about Brazil, but we had Solus Minerals on the ASX Lithium Ion Lithium Rocks event, an affiliate of Chris Gale's Latin resource, which has been very successful as well. And But Sigma really was the pioneer and it might be coming to a head, a conclusion, a sale or something else. What, what do you think? And the valuation is just very high. I guess that's arguable because I don't think they fully drilled out the deposit. What could that expand to? We'll see. But I think in terms of it's just interesting, Emily touched on it. I've heard that sort of feedback is whilst a lot of people point to Africa and to, to Lepidolite and China and so on, the reality is a lot of people understand the longevity of those projects and the risks around that and the ESG and so on. So the truth is a lot of downstream customers are still wanting absolute certainty on supply, the ones that are serious. And those are stop gaps. There is lithium in, in Africa, and, but there's restrictions. And we've seen what's happened with Leo Lithium. And Zimbabwe's also got a clampdown on beneficiating in countries. Something like Sigma, I've always said, I, you look at the core and you realize how good the quality is. To be honest, I haven't run through the maths on the expanded production and what else potentially, and then do an NPV. I know. I think the 15 billion NPV was on the basis of about a four and a half thousand dollar price. If you're paying around market prices, I don't know. Would it be fair to say for certainty of supply if you implied a two thousand dollar a ton and did the maths on that? Would that strike you as fair? That translates into probably twenty-two to twenty-five thousand dollars a ton long-term chemical prices. So it's an interesting one. When I said high, I wasn't actually making like a real fundamental valuation. I was just basically saying it's like nearly a four billion market cap company for uh, a company that just started producing, and it's four times AMG Critical Minerals market cap, who has been producing for a bit longer. But obviously, it's a smaller operation at that company. But the Albemarle coming into Lion Town, it's another pre-producer. They're relatively high valuations. When I look at a company like Alcoa, a Dow component at six or seven hundred year old company trading at a six or seven billion market cap in the aluminum space. I think some of these valuations are, are high, but that's the beauty of, of, of the lithium dynamic. So jumping in here from the editing room to tell you about our two sponsors, Zalandez and Lithium Royalty Corp. Zalandez provides services in subsurface data visualization, downhole geophysics, and other services for lithium brine operations. They just expanded into North America. And no matter where you sit in the brine industry, Zalandez can help you speed up and improve your projects. Go to zalandez.com for more. 
Lithium Royalty Corp is at the center of a global energy transition and manages a globally diversified portfolio of lithium-focused royalties in electrification and decarbonization. With 32 royalties on 29 higher-grade, lower-cost projects from exploration to production, LIRC covers all the bases with well-managed risk, ESG considerations, and a scalable royalty structure. Lithium Royalty Corp. is traded on the Toronto Stock Exchange ticker symbol LIRC. To find out more, visit lithiumroyaltycorp.com. Is there more to say on Brazil at the moment and this and this Sigma thing? But what do you think Brazil, uh, sorry, Emily, just operating in Brazil, you have Atlas, you have Ionic, you have Solus. What do you think of the potential for new Sigmas? I'm really enjoying operating in Brazil. So Luna decided to start looking at looking at targets in Brazil in December of 2022. And we as a company have, after a couple of months of getting our, getting our feet on the ground, figuring out operating structures, figuring out who's who, um, we are in a position as a company to be evaluating at least every one to two weeks land positions and areas where you have visible spodumene, where you've got historic values of high lithium. Brazil is big. Brazil has a lot of mineral potential, and it's got the right ingredients to allow for exploration. Um, it's, it's quite a Latin country, right? So you've got a lot of the chaos that comes with operating in a country like Brazil. Um, but it's got excellent technical professionals. It's got an excellent culture of mining and mineral exploration. And I found it to be a country that once I figure out in, in specific projects or once I do an evaluation stage and it's ready to take the next steps, getting from A to B is hard, but B to C and C to D is a lot more appealing than my backyard in the United States. Excellent. Okay. I've done some business in Brazil in the past in iron ore, as I have in Western Australia and had good success there about 10, 12 years ago. And yeah, we've missed Sigma directly as a always rooted for them, but never invested, but look forward to seeing what you dig up there. And we believe Solus has good potential to be another Latin. Rodney, let's talk about Western Australia. There was some speculation, I think Argonaut, one of the brokers that Global Lithium could be in play in that region. I didn't read that article in detail, but you have mineral resources with stakes all over the place. They had a, a board coup, Chris Ellison elbowed out David Flanagan, and, and you have Gina Reinhardt coming on market with 7.7%, but she got pushed back by the Liontown guys because she was like making some statements that that they took offense to operationally. And I'm not sure what like Gina Reinhardt really brings to the table. She seems a few years behind, many years behind Chris Ellison and Mineral Resources. But in, in Perth, you have the iron ore swagger. You got Andrew Forrest, who thought he might do something in lithium and decided not to. You got Gina Reinhardt, and then you got Chris Ellison. I know there's a lot of kind of competition and, and chatter about those three, but Gina is partnered with Minrez. And so what do you think happens with Liontown? What do you think happens? What's the bigger picture play? Is it really consolidation? Because Minrez seems to be 
decoupling a little bit from their partnerships with Ganfeng and Albemarle, right? They're, they're still, they, they talk very nicely about each other, but if Albemarle is not getting Wajinu material that you said is probably prompting them to Lion Town, but now you have kind of Gina Reinhardt. So it's very interesting reading the tea leaves, what's like happening here, but Western Australian iron lithium is clearly in demand among people who understand iron ore. What are your thoughts? About. If I'm not mistaken, I think lithium is up to second place in terms of exports out of Oz behind iron ore. So if you're in the business and you've got to grow, iron ore has got great margins, but there's limitations, I think, on you know, pick the eyes out of all the deposits. So next up is lithium, which we're hearing different things, but it looks like with Australia's preferred status, you have the optionality of the midstream if you can do that like pilbara with calyx and the sulfate is what chris ellison's looking at and i think importantly howard what he's worked out which is what we have been saying for some time is there is the optionality of tolling in china that is at your discretion it's not if you stop using someone you can't toll material in china you can toll material in china there's capacity so he he's decided that the if you own the rock you're god and that's the route he's going i presume he thinks between midstream and tolling in china that he has optionality for downstream as and when he needs it australia is going to as far as i understand how it is ira compliant so it's all good then it's a question of i'm not sure what reinhardt's angle is with chris edison he will clearly want the mining contracts as well which is a good part of his business. So he'll want to move the material and be the operating producer, I think. In these instances, he clearly likes Kalgoorlie because they're all over there. Uh, that's why I call it the Kalgoorlie stampede because everything in that region has seen M&A always being bought up. And essentially every single jork resource in Australia of the 14 of them is in some way or another doing M&A or in some kind of play. So it clearly, guys have decided that they want to back this. Global Lithium is drilling at Manor. They should go over 50 million tons because they've got a massive drill program. They have people on the register, but no one in a dominant position. So I'd be surprised if given the popularity around the Kalgoorlie region that if when and when they do that drilling and the ore sorting is part of the definitive feasibility study it will be interesting to see who sits where but I, i'd be very surprised if again a resource of that size and potential to grow more won't be part of the activity i agree with you i'm not sure what gina reinhardt brings to land town other than wanting to have access to some material herself, I think with the Indian negotiations or discussions or partnership. But Chris Ellison is clearly making his play. He wants to ramp up Wajana. And as I've said before, is if you look at it, not that Mount Marion material is great, the, the grades are not great, but if he has Wajana up and running and he's now putting his fingerprints on Delta and then possibly global lithium. You need to understand that he could be one of the biggest, if not the biggest bodumen producers effectively in the world. Yeah, I've been watching that for five years or so and a happy Minra's shareholder. 
for all that time. We've had the luxury, it's been a public company, so you can observe Minrez and, and Chris discuss what he's doing. Uh, Gina Reinhardt's a bit of a black box. Hancock is a private company, so you don't really know the, the inner workings there. But I, I think she's late to the game. She put in that stake early into Vulcan, if you remember, a few years ago. I think it was just like almost an opportunistic kind of trade. I think she came into that and then sold it, been dabbling, but is not. This makes sense with Albemarle, I think, and Liontown. They squeeze a higher price out of it. I don't know. I'm surprised you haven't seen like a Rio Tinto or some other company come and, and overbid and, and that it is her. But there's no value add. I don't think she could help downstream. I don't think she. And Minrez and Pilbara show, because Pilbara, Ken Brinsden had iron ore expertise. Scuba, like iron ore is a logistics exercise, right? It's, it, it's, it's shoveling dirt and huge low value product, 100 bucks. But actually making 5.5 or 6% you know, concentrate is, is harder than iron ore. So I don't think Gina Reinhardt you know, has any experience in doing that. For her to comment that she could do better than what Liontown is building, I, I don't know. I'd like to see her maybe funding earlier stage juniors like she did in Vulcan, but in the hard rock space in, in Western Australia. So I, I don't know. I could be wrong, but I just think that this is opportunistic. It's not really value add. And we'll, we'll see where Albemarle goes to but i don't know delta lithium very much but it, it was delta lithium was supposed to present at the asx lithium rocks conference and david backed out at the last minute and i suspect this might be a, a reason for that but it is unusual for chris ellison to become the c the chairman of any company they have a 17 percent stake but Again, I don't have a horse in this race because we're not a shareholder in Delta, but he said that he wants to mine services contract. Okay, can he force that now that he's on the board? And is there any potential for like how will minority shareholders be treated in in Delta? Um, he's also a minority shareholder in Global Lithium. He's not on the board, and he's a shareholder also in Essential. So I don't know. I, I, I'm not following it deep, deep closely because we're not invested in in a few of those companies, but. There's just a lot of activity. I think some of this activity will translate as well as already happening in Sigma in, in Brazil, but I should, I'm going to expect it to happen in, in Quebec as well, uh, which people are calling like the, like the Pilbara of North America. Yeah, no, I think it's relevant to, I think, given the conversation that we're having, that Hancock and Gina Reinhardt have a large position in a rare earths project in Brazil. If you look at her entrance or desire to enter into lithium into Australia as part of maybe a larger strategy, critical minerals generated worldwide, uh, it can be a valuable piece of context. She's a, a, a lot of the world who make money in iron ore looking to get into critical minerals in other places. It's interesting. I didn't know she was in Brazil. I know Twiggy Forrest was all over the world for three, four years. We were chasing him and his team. Patrick Highsmith, who is on his team for three years, has recently joined Champion Electric Metals. Just a shout out to them, by the way. We, we just did a, a video with Jonathan Buick, which uh, will be forthcoming uh, a couple of days after um, this event. By the way, just another advertisement. Um, if you're not already getting the Lithium Bull directly into your email box, please go to RK Equities website and register your email so you get it in a, in a timely way. We, we tweet about it. But also the Champion Electric Metals, we will have an early release. 
and extended form for our Patreon sponsors. So what we're going to put in the public domain for full consumption will be a shorter version later. So if you want early access and the extended cuts, you could just, even just for being a $10 Patreon, you can get that. So what else should we talk about? The, the UAW is striking in the United States, and they're asking for a lot more money because they see the profits that the auto companies are making and they had to suffer during the pandemic. And they're saying, okay, now we need more money. And the auto companies are saying, yeah, but we need to finance our EVs, which are loss making at present. And China and others are more cost competitive. So like having unionized EV plants is somewhat problematic. What do you I think? Yeah, Howard, I have a couple, like, besides that, a couple, maybe larger picture things to put in. That's a marble, throw a few marbles around of what's happening in the U.S. This week, we've had, for some reason, and I don't really understand it, Thacker Pass, that deposit has made its rounds through global media as if it's a brand new discovery in the heart of the United States. We've had, as you mentioned earlier, we've had the Department of Defense write direct checks to Talon, to Albemarle. So we've got money coming in from the federal government to mining, not just to processing. We've got these strikes where we have workers saying we want more money. We've got Donald Trump in his marketing material saying, I want to slow down the EV revolution in America. And I think that we've the, the last America-centric thing I've seen this week is that I believe legislation is advancing to apply an 8% royalty to hard rock mining in the United States as part of this sort of streamlining of permitting conversation or changing the 1800s mining law. So I think there's a lot happening in the U.S. And I think it's, I would say if you want to put on the sides that are good, are good for more mining in the U.S., you have money coming in, you've got Oddly enough, Thacker Pass being bandied about as a brand new world-class resource. But then on the other side, you've got automaker strikes, which are saying, listen, U.S. product is already going to be pretty expensive. And guess what? The margins for car makers are going to be even smaller. And then you've got a potential presidential candidate who's saying, I don't want EVs. I'm going to turn this legislation around. And then on top of that, you've got legislation saying now there's going to be more uncertainty in what legal framework mining companies in the U.S. face. That mining legislation, I think it's four to eight percent, and it only applies to federal land, so it's not on. It won't. It shouldn't affect things like Piedmont or Talon if it is passed. But it was only passed by the House. Yeah. Um, there was also one other thing. Uh, she mentioned, I think there was, there's a court case, they're trying to fight the California being able to set their own kind of uh, emissions rules, because they've set a date like all EVs by 2035 and using some environmental protection agency law for that. And there was a court case that was fighting the legitimacy of, of California and the EPA to be able to do that. And this was just the news today. The, the judge evaluating that was basically seemingly siding with the EPA and saying it is within their capabilities to set these emissions regulations. But your point, I made this in the, in the ASX Lithium Rocks in my opening you know, commentary, 
the, the likely, like it or not, right, if you're a betting person, Trump's going to be the nominee and Biden's going to be the nominee. So we're going to have a rematch, right? I'm not happy about that rematch, but if that is the rematch, no one's been better for our sector than Biden, right? So you got to root for Biden if you care about this sector, but it will clearly be an issue. It'll be close. If it's Biden, Trump, it's going to be close, which means if it's close, once these primaries are, are, are coming out when in New Hampshire and Iowa and South Carolina in February, March, and then March, April, May, if it's close, sentiment-wise, it's going to be confusing. Are we going to continue to have all? Like, is he gonna, if Trump wins, like Jigger Shah is not going to be in the Department of Energy giving out loans, right? And when Trump won last time, it, it, say what you want about Trump, most politicians don't act on their promises in the campaign, right? Trump was a person who actually <laughs> did what he campaigned on, whether or not you like what he was campaigning on. So if he wins, it is a real risk. And come the springtime, that risk is going to be out there and it could affect equity market sentiment and because it could slow down this things. Is, this pulls in the comments that you made about the UA, UAW strikes, because a big part of where Biden has campaigned is for being this union-friendly person, right? To be getting the unions. And if you look at the unions as a like a third political party, right, in terms of a voting block, yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to watch. Rodney, what do, what do you think of our of our political dramatizations here in in the U.S.? I think the problem, Emily, is <clears throat> the strike is very similar to Europe. Is the truth of the matter is EVs require far less parts, the drivetrain and so on, and the cost is less. And all the ancillary industries that handle servicing of EVs, et cetera, they're all under threat. So you are now, here you are in a world where everyone's trying to reshore or onshore away from globalization and EVs is in full swing offshoring to China. And I don't understand why people didn't understand this. We've said it for a long time. Musk plowed a whole lot of money into Tesla is the reality is you might even try and block to Europe. You might even try and block to the US. But all of the other countries where I live in Africa and elsewhere, it'll be Chinese imports. That is the reality, the same that it is now. And it's a difficult one because in certain parts of the world like Germany or what have you, the automotive sector employs 12% of people. They are now also probably going to face some pushback. So in the US, it's a difficult one in that you have inflation, you have other things coming through, but in a sector like this, you just don't have the give to pay. So I, I don't know what the answer is. Howard always jokes about like with coal miners or whatever, teach them to code. What do you so? What do you do with, with employees that, that can't reshift? Because as I say, the service side of it as well, you don't really need a service in EV. They just put new tires on. Do you get protectionist on this? And then it, it raises the whole question of, and this is a debate because yes, LFP, it's cheaper and so on, although I see NMC prices dropping, but you are going to import that N that LFP from China for some time. That's not going to change. Everyone tells you this and there's guys chasing it and Vivas and them doing good things, but 
what are you going to do now when there is no way around the internal components? You can put batteries together in the US, but where's the cathode? Where's the raw materials? Uh, and again, versus what you do now for um, the auto industry, relatively speaking. So it's a very complicated issue. And the truth is, you know, the, the benchmarks, everything else, testifying in front of Congress, trying to explain to them this is coming and no one, everyone's squabbling and no one's listening. And now it's coming home to roost. Howard and Rodney, actually, can I ask you guys, what are your thoughts on, why do you think that article on Thacker Pass got such global traction in terms of the size of the resource? And then what do you think about the economics of that project? It's funny. I was in Manhattan this week for four or five meetings. Now we're like post Labor Day. Everyone's, a lot of people are come through the city again. So I reconnected with people I haven't connected with in a long time. And in between meetings, I spoke to my accountant and he knows he's never invested in lithium, but he knows he's my accountant. So he's, he, he knows what I do for a living. And he was just like, oh, there's this Wall Street Journal. There's this big article about this big find in Nevada. I'm like, oh yeah, like I saw it somewhere else. And so you're saying it did get like a lot of press, but I only saw that one Daily, article. Hold on, Howard. Daily Mail style, like from the Wall Street Journal. <laughs> To the European tabloids. Really? Okay. Because I just saw the article that Elon Musk <clears throat> tweeted in response to somebody else posting it. And that wasn't the Wall Street Journal. It was in some like scientific journal or something. So that's why everywhere. That's why I thought it was like a new discovery. So I have no idea why it's being touted as like a new discovery, number one. So like lithium, that project is where I got my start in lithium in 2009. And for the first seven of my 14 years promoting lithium companies, that was the only company I promoted. And I remember, Emily, meeting you at the first time at the Fast Markets Conference in, I think, 2018. And we were on a plane going to visit Thacker Pass with 20 or so others. And Alexei Zawadzi handed out something that looked like a bong, which kind of showed melting the clay in liquid. And Ionero was always saying that that's the problem with clay. Once it's wet, it's a problem. I don't know. Rodney could talk about the, the capital intensity of that project. I, I did have the opportunity to speak to some people at Lithium Americas. I'm looking forward. I think the split off officially happens October 3rd. So from October 4th, you're going to have two separate companies and Lithium Argentina I noticed actually, I, I thought it very interesting that Tom Benson, Mr. Volcano, who was quoted in that article and he wrote his thesis about Thacker Pass, is not staying with the Lithium America side. He's going to the Argentine side or, or the, the non-North American side. And as is Alec Michael and as are some others there. Look, that's a good, I want that project to get into production. It's from our perspective, you promote something for so long and say it's a viable project. 14 years later, they have funding from GM, and but it's a very high CapEx project. It's a very high capital intensity project. But if they can get their operating costs where they say they're going to be, or even close to that, even if it's a third quartile project it, they're not saying it's going to be that they're saying it'll be whatever second quartile most probably but it's just very big and scalable assuming they can get water rights for stage two and three and and, and four so it, it to the extent that america needs some self-sufficiency in lithium the lithium is there it's also in the salton sea it's also in the smack over it's also in you know kind of north carolina etc but 
I hope it gets off the ground, but right now it's under construction. They're waiting. I think this GM second tranche could only come in after the split off happens. And there are probably some other conditions. Once they get that, then will they get the DOE loan? Actually, you know what? They, I, they got permitted just before Trump left and before Biden came in. If you remember that, it was like within in January of 2021, they might get a loan from Jigger Shah if Biden loses just before <laughs> there may be no more loans. Who knows? But I think they will get that loan. I don't know if they'll get up to 75% of the CapEx. If they don't get up to 75% of the CapEx, is there an equity hole that they're going to need to fill? We shall see. But yeah, from valuation wise, I don't know. I'm rooting for them. I, I like the Argentine is in production. It's tied with Ganfeng. I think it's a, a bit lower risk. Although you can, if you want, we could talk about Argentine risk. I think we but, need. A, so, I think we need another. We'll need another <laughs> podcast for that. But yeah, valuation wise, I'm very interested to see how the market values those two projects. I don't think that the Lithium Americas. That's a gigantic project. I know they have a small stake in green technology metals, but for that company, the Lithium Americas, North America, to do a project other than Thacker Pass, I think might be hard. So as an equity, that stock is going to be like in construction for several years, right? Before you see it go into production. Using the Lasan curve, as we always do, you make money on the exploration, you make money just as you're going into production. Lithium America's North America Thacker Pass is going to be in that 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 zone of construction for a long period of time. So what's the catalyst for for that stock? I'm not so it's not so clear to me. But valuation wise, I don't know. If lithium prices are going up as they're progressing, if they're fully funded and not in construction, then the market will just say, okay, this is going to be a big producer. And if you discount the cash flows each year that you progress you're closer and closer to that cash flow than the equity might re-rate, but the the markets are fickle and they don't always do that until you're about to produce. I do agree. I, I guess it's a question of how you view the relationship between Canada and the US in terms of can Canada be considered a, you know, an additional state and therefore the supply there is almost domestic because we're seeing a lot of discoveries in James Bay and, and elsewhere that you know, that material can end up in the U.S. We need to see, but it, it would be good to get a project going in the U.S. I know, of course, there's the Albemarle brand, but that's expanding, but it's it's small. This is, I think, when you mentioned about the article, I think, again, notionally, just something, because something's a massive resource doesn't mean you can get massive production out of it per year. In this instance, there's sulfuric acid involved and all sorts of other things. So... A lot of people like to say, oh, something's really huge, therefore it can do X, or this is enough lithium to produce to do this, that, and the next thing. But you've got to start. Looks like they're going to get there and, and get going, and let's see how they go. It would be good to have a domestic resource. The CapEx was eye-watering per ton, and we're seeing that across all of the unconventional flow sheets, DLE and clay. So we need high. It's, it's good in one sense. It sets the high. Obviously, not in terms of the cost curve once it's in production, but in terms of IRRs and getting it there, you've got to, I keep saying, you can build in China for six to $8,000 a ton CapEx, and this is 57, I think it was, and standard is 67. 
you need the DOE getting involved here, but it would be good to see a project get started. But I think, Emily, it's safe to say, I'm sure you'd agree, South America, Brazil, Oz, whatever, getting hard rock going is people have issues with it, but I do think you can improve the CO2 footprint of those. And Canada's got low carbon power and you can use electric trucks and solar and in Oz and so on. I think people have bashed that and downstream hasn't been keen to fund it. Incumbents and industry insiders have all gone almost exclusively for hard rock and the odd brown. And we do, as we said, we, again, we not anti brown you just it's how long it takes to get there but once you're there cost curve wise it's great but the incumbents and the industry insiders continue to mostly go for hard rock and the non-industry insiders are going for these unconventional flow sheets so we're going to find out who's right and who's wrong soon enough yeah you mentioned rodney europe uh, was in the news ursula von der heiden uh is investigating chinese subsidies to the evs because i think bmw uh came out uh, there was a big german auto show and, and a lot of people lamenting that the, the chinese exports into europe could decimate the german and other european car industries so to the extent you know, there's a lot of back and forth here that could be you know somewhat problematic and it, and it could affect Tesla as well, which is exporting a great deal from uh, China. But my takeaway is that I don't know if there will be tariffs, there might be, but the concept of green premiums for localized supply chains and and the like, the anti-China or the concern about unlevel playing field or not, I don't know. Look, they had the vision to do it. What Chinese subsidies, what Chinese subsidies does Tesla get in China? They got a low interest loan. They got a low interest oh, loan. Low yeah, they were treated as, a, as. And you don't think the European Union protects the auto industry? I'm just so, asking. Uh, I'm just know, throwing it out there that she's investigating. And, and what's one could about? argue, one could argue on the Chinese-made vehicles, but I don't think you can argue on Tesla. And the other thing is that Europe exports into China the luxury cars. That yes. they don't have a problem with. I understand this is about subsidies, but I don't think that Europe was giving deals left, right, and center on battery plants, on tax breaks and all sorts of things for the guys going into right. Europe. Uh, this is this is going to be a tough one. I think if she's saying unfair, you can assess that. But uh, there is an argument in terms of carbon, of your battery passport or carbon passport that's going to come in into Europe. That could add some costs if you start to charge in terms of excess CO2 in the EV. Yeah, I look, I genuinely dislike when people talk about the, are we going to pay different levels of green premium for production X, Y, and Z? I think that the green premium should allow companies or players to access cheaper sources of capital. So take an example as DOE money or DOD money or things. Access capital at a cost that's not market so that you can provide a product that competes with the market. Because multiple pricing schemes and it's just, it smacks of all of the things that economists tried to do in the 70s to equalize playing fields with import and export, and they become really expensive to maintain. The incentives to try to cheat on them are very high. I think that 
from a binary standpoint, certain companies like Tesla, like Apple, who have a, a life cycle assessment or demand a life cycle assessment, who report their net zero carbon footprints, et cetera, et cetera. I think they should be the arbiters, if you will, of only buying product that meets X, Y, and Z standards. And then projects that are able to meet those standards should be eligible for capital at superior rates than dirty production. But when you try to put an incremental green premium on this or this, it's just, it's going to become cumbersome. Folks are going to cheat. Well, I think, I, I think part of the concern, Howard, on this thing is if you take it, if you strip out all of the subsidization or incentives, if you just take cost of capital to construct in China and timelines, cost of labor, product efficiency, et cetera, bottom line is going to be cheaper than Europe. Even if you say strip out government incentives or what have you, what if China is just that much cheaper in making cars, which it is? What are you going to do about that? I don't know. That's like an economic comparative advantage. One would argue, let all the cars be made in China and Germany could make beer. <laughs> <laughs> the problem is the bigger philosophical issue on all of this is this onshoring is obviously onshoring inflation because it is much more expensive if you do it domestically, if someone else has an economic advantage. So this is the debate that's now going to come up. Is For years, the world didn't care. They got things cheaper from a lower-cost producer one way or another, and everyone accepted that. Now, when you try and turn the tide, it comes at a cost. And how much are those union workers asking, Emily? What is the pay, I think, on those? It's probably 40 bucks an hour or something. Yeah, more, I'd say. Yeah, I think the American cost of labor is like 40% higher or something. It's, it's like a meaningful number higher. Anyway, we need to leave it at that. But thank you, Emily, for joining yeah, us uh, yeah. again. Quickly, I want to plug, I did a Minerals Manhattan podcast episode with Dr. John Berba. If you haven't listened to it, listen to it. I've listened to it three times already and puts a smile on my face and I learn so much. So give it a listen. I will give it a listen this weekend and encourage all Rockstock channel viewers to go to the Minerals Manhattan Project available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and follow Emily at Lithium Emily on Twitter. X. 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 Yeah. All right. <laughs> Take care. Bye, guys. Have a good day. Bye.